Well, if you've got your Bible with you, I want you to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. We've been talking uh, about the war on love uh, during this series, and, and uh, we've talked about how love is uh, so much different than what uh, our, our American views are concerning love. And uh, the Bible uh, makes it plainly clear, begins to, to word by word, step by step, uh, verse by verse, begins to break down what love really is. And God is a relationship expert. He's been dealing with people for thousands of years. And he understood <clears throat> that we would uh, struggle to be able to define what love is. So he wrote an entire chapter in the Bible to begin to define and explain to us uh, what love is. And out of all the things that God could have uh, said or started with or words he could have used, the very first word that God uses to define what love is, is love is patient. In other words, if we're going to love people well, if we're going to love others well, the first characteristic is we're going to have to learn how to be patient. Another word for patient is long-suffering. And, and we have to learn how to develop these types of of, of lessons to, uh, in our life and learn how to love people the way God says for us to love uh, others. And then it says that love is patient, it says love is kind, love uh, is not envious. Last week we, we talked about how that love is not prideful, and today we're going to talk about how that love is not easily angered. Love is not easily angered. First Corinthians chapter number 13, I want to read just uh, two verses here. And then I'm going to flip over to Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll finish up there. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It is not prideful. And it does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. is not easily provoked or angered. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. Now, flip over to Ephesians chapter number 4. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love is not easily angered. Now, notice what it does not say. It does not say that love never gets angry. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is get angry about something. For example, sin. The truth is you will never truly repent and turn from sin until you hate it. Let me say that again. You'll never repent and truly change and forsake sin until you hate it, until you get angry about it, until you get mad at falling into those same temptations or into those same mindsets and those same actions. We, we have to be angry about some things in order to live the way God wants us to live. And this is what it says in Ephesians 4 verse 26. It says, be angry, this is in the Amplified, at sin. So there's some things that we should be angry about. Things that we should be mad at. He says, be angry at sin, at immorality at injustice, at ungodly behavior, yet do not sin. There's some things that we're supposed to be angry about. There's things that we're not supposed to be angry about. Is all anger sin? No. The Bible says be angry and do not sin. Then it says do not let your anger cause you shame, nor allow it to last until the sun goes down, in verse 27. And do not give the devil an opportunity to lead you into sin, by holding a grudge or nurturing anger or harboring resentment or cultivating bitterness. And so today we're going to talk about anger management. How do we process our anger? How do we handle our anger? How do we channel our anger in a loving way? So if you will, let's pray together. Father, we thank you just for the privilege of being able to come together in this building to worship you and to hear your word. Lord, I have nothing to give your people uh, except your word, and I'm inadequate at being able to do that. So, Lord, I pray that you would overcome my limitations, that you'd help me to speak the truth in love with clarity, with conviction. I let it bring revelation in our heart, understanding, give us wisdom, teach us how to apply 
Help us to adjust. Help us to be mad at the things that we need to be mad about and let go of the things that we're holding grudges of. Lord, help us to become lovers of God and lovers of people the way your word says we are to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love is not easily angered. <clears throat> now, anger, uh, anger is the strongest of all human emotion. And anger has to be guarded. Anger is such a powerful emotion that scientifically, uh, physiologically, it can affect us mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically for hours and it can even affect us for days after we give in or let our anger get out of control. Anger can be extremely destructive. It can be devastating. It can cause catastrophic, irreparable da uh, damage. Anger can wound us so deeply that our memories need to be healed from experiences that we've had and words that we've had spoken to us. Anger uh, is expressed in, in ways that that can ultimately create such devastation that barring a miracle from God, you never actually are able to overcome it. You see, statistics say that one out of five Americans deal with anger issues. Now, when I talk about anger problems, I'm specifically talking about people who consistently allow their anger to get out of control and turn destructive. I'm not saying that you have anger issues because you get mad. Listen, God created us with the ability to get angry. The Bible says be angry and do not sin. But when I'm talking about anger problems, I'm talking about the, the consistent, regular actions, attitudes, words that we speak that get out of control on a consistent basis. And one out of five of us actually have anger problems. That last year, over six million wives uh, suffered abuse from their husbands. Over 10 million children were abused by their parents. 60% of us lose our temper at least one time a week. But anger is obviously an issue. But what I love about the Bible is the Bible gives us ex experiences. It gives us examples of other people who who have had anger problems in the past. Moses, for example. Moses had an anger issue that he never really dealt with. Moses was a great man of God. Moses was a prophet. Moses led the children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. He loved God. He loved the people. But he never fully dealt with his anger. Samson was a man who had anger issues. He, 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 he allowed his anger and his pride to... to, to uh, get control of his life, and he responded impulsively in anger, and it created uh, a lot of problems in his life. Elijah was a man who got angry. So, you know, we, there's examples of, of anger in great men of God that we read about in the Bible, but even these great men of God suffered consequences by allowing their anger to get out of control. But what does the Bible have to say about anger? You know, do Christians, probably nobody in this church, but do, do Christians really have anger problems? Do Christians really allow their anger to get out of control? Does, does anger really consistently show up in your life in the relationships that you have causing problems? Now, uh, statistics say that uh, among Christian counselors, at least 50% of the counseling they do with people that identify themselves as Christians are centered around anger issues. I mean, that's what statistics say. Anger problems are a real reality. And I would say that anger is probably the most excused and the most justified behavior among people that call themselves Christians. But anger can create serious, serious problems when it gets out of control. Don't lift your hand, but how many of you that are here this morning are guilty of allowing anger to get the best of you? You know, anger toward others, anger toward yourself, anger toward God, anger toward a situation that, that you hope would 
turn out differently, but never did change. You, you struggle with anger. All of us are guilty of allowing anger to get the best of us. You know, if 60% of us uh, lose our temper once a week, you know, that means six out of every ten of us that are here have lost their temper this week. I wonder how many of you lost your temper this week. I wonder if we put your life up on the screen here and we looked at your actions and we listened to your conversations and we saw your attitudes and, and how you related to your wife or your husband, how you related to your children. How many of you would be guilty of having anger issues, losing your temper? Losing your temper, temper will ultimately lead to destruction and will ultimately sabotage your happiness as a person. You know, anger and happiness are, cannot be coexistent. Anger and happiness are, are incompatible things. If you are angry, it blocks your happiness and quality of your relationship. So what is anger? Let's define anger. Anger is emotion that varies in intensity from mild irritation to intense fury and rage. Anger is an emotion that varies in intensity from mild, uh, mild uh, uh, irritation to intense rage and fury. Anger destroys relationships. Anger impedes our ability to be happy. For every minute that you are anger, angry, you lose 60 seconds of happiness because anger and happiness cannot exist. And so... If you've got an outline, I want to encourage you to pull it out. And I want to give you some uh, answers to the blanks that are in your notes. I want to give you three ways that we uh, respond to our anger in a negative way. Or in other words, here's three ways not to handle or process your anger. Now the first one is this. Don't repress it. Don't repress anger. Now what does the word repress mean? It means to push down. It means to hold it in. Listen, internalized anger creates secret thoughts and plans of revenge. Many serious actions and behaviors are the result of people being silently angry. It's, 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 it's entirely possible for us to be a very angry person but just hold it in. It's possible for you to, to have a stronghold of anger in your life, but not necessarily show it. You, you're, you're, you're edgy. You're, you're quick to snap. You're, you're quick to go off, or, or you're quick to get mad, but, but you're able to contain it in some way, but you stay in a constant state of stress and pressure and tension. And tension and temper go hand in hand. If you have a lot of stress in your life, if you have a lot of tension in your life, if you have a lot of pressure in your life, sooner or later it will show itself. But you've been up to this point, you've been very good at being able to repress it, to hold it down, to hold it in. Now, internalized anger often takes on the form of different, milder expressions of anger. For example, people that are silently angry are very manipulative. People that are silently angry uh, are very moody and they experience serious mood swings. People that are uh, extremely angry are, can be very sarcastic and verbal with their comments. People that are silently angry uh, oftentimes will slander as a form of allowing anger to come out, but it's masked in just words or, or, or poor language or bad jokes of criticism. It's, it's often a lesser form of expression. And so anger uh, is expressed in different ways. Listen, when you store up your anger on the inside, eventually your body will reach a breaking point. In other words, when you swallow your anger your stomach bears the consequences of it. Did you know, listen to this, it's, it's, it's medically proven that one minute of anger allowed to get out of control can weaken your immune system for 24 hours. One minute 
of allowing anger to get out of control can weaken your immune system for 24 hours. When you swallow your anger, your stomach keeps score. Why? Because your body wasn't created to live in this constant state of tension, of stress, of pressure, of being on edge, of being uh, pushed to the limit. You weren't created, to, and your body wasn't created for you to live that way. And oftentimes, when we uh, repress our anger, hold it down, or push it down, or hold it in, ultimately, it will manifest itself in physical issues concerning our health. Ulcers, high blood pressure, um, things of that nature. And, and again, I'm not saying that if you have those issues, you have an anger problem. I'm saying if you have an anger problem that's never been dealt with, it will ultimately manifest itself in the weakest physical part of your body. So it affects us in a lot of different ways. Anger is extremely, extremely devastating when we hold it in. Number two, don't suppress it. Number one, don't repress it. Number two, don't suppress it. Now, what does suppress mean? Suppressed anger means the emotion is not allowed to show. However, anger never truly goes away. Anger, it, it resides in our heart. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, if you have hatred in your heart toward another person, you're as guilty as a person that murders somebody else. That's what Jesus said. If you have anger, if you have hatred in your heart, you're considered a murderer. And that's a very, very uh, gripping statement Jesus made. A lot of us have anger, hatred, resentment, bitterness, frustration, whatever it may be, in our hearts, and we think it's okay for it to be there. Because we feel justified because we were done wrong. Somebody talked about us. Somebody uh, done something to us that, that we didn't like. We, we didn't appreciate. They, they wounded us. They, they verbally assaulted us. They attacked our character. They hurt our feelings, whatever it may be. So we have these feelings. And listen, there's nothing wrong with feelings as long as you don't allow your feelings to get control over your life. And here's the thing. When you allow your emotions to get control of how you react and how you respond, nine times out of ten, you will react and respond in the wrong way. You will react and respond in a negative way, in a hurtful way, that ultimately will end up making things worse than what they would have been already. So you can't suppress it. People that frequently suppress their anger, they're chronically irritable. They're hateful. They're moody. They're intense. They're always on the edge. People who, you know, some people think that, that that's just their personality. No, you're hateful. No, you're mean. You got a mean spirit. And that's not right. The Bible says you should hate that kind of behavior. Not justify it. Not make excuses for it. That's just the way that I am. No, you're rude. You're rude. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is shut up. You ever felt that way before? And it's biblical. The Bible says there's a time to speak, a time to refrain from speaking. So it's important that, that we have some kind of self-control. Here's the third way. The third way is don't express it. Don't repress it. Hold it down. Push it, or push it down. Hold it in. Don't suppress it, meaning uh, uh, don't just, uh, you know, you need to allow a release of that because if you don't allow the release of that anger in a, in a, in a healthy way, it's ultimately going to, to cost you. And then don't, ex don't express it. Well, what in the world do you do with anger? I'm going to help you with it here just in a moment. Don't express it. Now, here's some good advice, okay? Don't respond impulsively when you're in an emotional state. That's typically the way that we ha uh, handle issues that upset us. We tend to give people a piece of our Christian mind, don't we? We want to be experts at lining people out and straightening them out as if we have no issues at all in our life. Right? 
Bless God, I ain't let nobody talk to me that way. I, I'm, don't, don't get me wrong, I, I, wanted to, I felt that way before. I probably handled some things wrongly in the past. But we can't allow ourselves to express it in a detrimental way, ultimately causing more problems by the way that we react to it. Oftentimes, the biggest problems in our life is not what happened to us, but how we react and respond to what happened to us. Especially in our marriages. When we disagree, we don't like that, do we? Like we talked about last week, we don't like to admit that it's possible that we could be wrong. I told you, Rachel knows I have my issues, but being wrong is not one of them. So we've got on the same page on that, therefore everything works out perfectly. Right? But don't express it. You've got to reflect before you respond. Before you go off, call a timeout. Let me give you a real-life example for me, okay? Well, when Jessa was born, and we brought her home, I was your typical guy that used to sleep 10, 12 hours a day as often as I possibly could and loved it. How many of you like to sleep? Is I could sleep and sleep and sleep. It was wonderful. I loved to sleep. I haven't slept in 14 years. So we brought Jessa home. I thought I was going to die. I said, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Sleep. I'm going to die. From, is it possible to die? I'm going to die from this. That's exactly the way that I felt. Because at this point in time, me and Rachel would take turns uh, getting up with Jessa, and the child never slept. I mean, she never slept. And if you have a child that sleeps, who cares? Don't tell that story to people. Nobody, I don't want to hear it. She never slept, so, and it was our own fault. You know, we held her when she was awake. We held her when she was asleep. We held her when she was in between, being awake and asleep. We just held her. We broke a chair down having to sit with her and hold her so she could sleep because she wouldn't sleep in her crib. Why couldn't she sleep in the crib? Because we always held her. So Leah comes along. They're just 18 months apart. Leah's born. Guess what? She's born, and she has colic. I was a youth pastor at this time. And so I hadn't slept for 18 months up to this point. I handled it differently than I do right now. And she cried. 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 And you try everything you possibly can, every article you can read for a colicky baby. I mean, you sit on washing machines and dryers. You stand on your head. You do cartwheels. You know, you, you do, nothing works. The child cries and cries. And then finally, I reached a point where I thought I was, I was at a breaking point. And this is what I told Rachel, true story. I said, Rachel, I want you to hold this child, okay? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the child. I'm going to walk to the end of the driveway. I'm going to punch that tree out there, okay? And then I'm going to be back in. It's going to be fine. I promise you, it's going to be fine. Well, I mean, she didn't think I was serious. And so I handled her, Leah, and I walk out the door, and I go, BAM! I hit the tree as hard as I could. And you've seen those cartoons like when, when you, when you uh, uh, smash your finger, and every time your heart beats, it goes, my knuckles were busted up, my hand was killing me, but I wasn't mad anymore. I was in pain. So I learned how not to express my anger in a wrong, bad way. I used to express it in a violent way. But now, punching trees is more godly, okay? But the whole point of that story is you have to relax. You have to reflect before you respond. It's important that we learn how to express anger the right way. Now, there's many different ways to express anger besides being violent. Now, here's one way. One way to express our anger without being violent is pout. I am a powder. I used to be violent. 
I used to punch holes in the wall and on the door. You can go to my mom's house, you can see it. I'm not proud of that. But that's the way that I was. I was that way. Now, I don't punch anything. I go. And I get it honestly. It tends to run in my family. Most of our children pout. My papa was a powder. So I come from a long line of powders. And powders, you know, pouting is one way to express anger nonviolently. Being critical is another way of expressing. And by the way, if you were a powder, sooner or later you're going to have to give up your pity party because the people that know you the most know you're a powder and they're not going to give in. They're not going to give in. Well, you just go on and pout if you want to. Just sit over and don't say a word. And then I found out that being silent was a way to get back at Rachel. And why do I want to get back at Rachel? Because I love her. We're talking about love. Right? We love people so much that we want to get back at them. Teach her a lesson. Tired of getting picked on and done bad. But anyways, pouting, being critical, manipulative. Anger is listed as one of the works of the flesh. That's important for us to know because evidently, according to Scripture, there is a natural inclination and desire in our own flesh to respond in anger. So therefore, it's not always the devil's fault. Sometimes, and oftentimes, the majority of the time, it is your fault. Why? Because it's part of the works of the flesh. Now, those are the three ways. Say this with me big and loud so I know that you're awake, Bob. And everybody else is say, don't repress it. Louder than that. Don't repress it. Don't suppress it. Don't express it. Now, let me give you quickly four ways that you can overcome anger. Now, this is important because every one of us have a natural inclination to get angry, so nobody's excluded here. So we won't, you know, this is a, you know, this is a politically correct message. We're all in this together, right? Everybody can identify with being angry, you know, this is not being a bigot. This is not being prejudiced. This is not, because anger is neither of those things. But it's also part of our flesh. We, so we need to deal with it. Four ways. Number one, if you're going to overcome your anger, number one, you've got to identify the object of your anger. Listen, a lot of people that are mad, they don't even know what they're mad at. Because the truth is, the thing, the straw that breaks the camel's back, the thing that causes us to snap, the thing that causes us to go off is not really the issue. We've allowed things to accumulate over days, weeks, months, years, and then finally something happens that's not even a big deal, and we just go off. Probably just me. Right? And so your husband or your wife's going, why did you get so mad at that? And then that makes you madder. I've been mad. Some of you all, you've been mad for 10 years. You've forgotten what you're mad at. You just like being mad. Right? If you're ever going to overcome anger, you have to identify the object. Now, anger's a natural emotion. It's a natural response. God created us with the ability to be angry. God himself gets angry. But listen to this. Anger is the result, or oftentimes the result, when things change in our life in an unpleasant way. Lots of people don't like change. But when change happens in a way that we don't prefer or a way that we're uncomfortable with or, or a way that, that uh, uh, you know, uh, affects us negatively, we tend to respond in anger. We get angry because something's changed that we don't like, and because we don't like it, we, we get mad. But it's important, if we're going to process anger in a healthy way, it's important that you identify what you are mad about. Many people are chronically angry about things that happened years ago, but they've forgotten what it was. They've just been 
angry for so long, they're mean and hateful, and they say, that's the way my personality is. Pause for an amen. Anyways, now, here's where five general areas where anger comes from. Number one, the anger that we have toward other people. People make you mad. Have you ever met anybody that made you mad? I mean, a lot of times, the people that we love the most make us the most mad, right? Other people, you know, do you have people in your life that push your buttons? Well, let me ask you a question. Let me help you with this. Well, whose buttons are they? They're yours, right? And if you don't give people your buttons, guess what? They can't. I'm pastoring today. Listen, nobody has the power to make you angry without your permission. There's a lot of times Rachel wants to fight with me. I said, uh-uh. I ain't going to let you fight with me. Now, that's not true, but it's just, you know, I wanted to say that. I wanted to say that, but I've thought it a few times. Anyways. But, you know, we, we get mad at other people, and then there's the anger that other people have toward us. There's people that's been mad at me before that I don't even know why. And a lot of times we get angry at somebody simply because we listen to somebody else's gossip and we've took second-hand information from other people that's only telling half the side of the story. There's two sides to every story. But we want to choose the only side that makes us mad because we want to feel empowered to be mad. And this is good preaching this morning. And so... We just want to hear the side of the story we like. The side of the story that, that, that gives us and makes us feel like we are um, empowered to hold the way that we view things the way we do. We, we want to say, okay, you know what? I have a right, bless God, to be mad because, they, listen, if you tell half the truth, you've told a complete lie. If you tell half the truth, you've told a complete lie. And listen, let me tell you something. There's no such thing as like a little bit of telling the truth. There's no such thing as a white lie. You can't be just a little bit pregnant. And even though you might be pregnant and not showing yet, sooner or later it will show. And that's what the Bible says about sin. Be sure and know that your sin will find you out. And so it's important. So we identify what our anger is. The anger we have toward other people, the anger that people have towards us. Here's a big one. Some of you, I feel this. Some of you, you have anger toward yourself. Things that you've done that you've allowed that's caused you extreme disappointment that at the moment you felt like was the right thing to do, but now on the other side of what you've went through, you're, you're assessing the damage that's been done and you're asking yourself, why did I do that? I destroyed that because... I allow my anger to get out of control. Listen, there's some things that you need to get angry about. But the majority of the things that we go through are not those. We ought to get angry that three to 4,000 babies a day are being murdered. But I can tell you this much. If you get angry in your flesh, the Bible says that the anger of man can never produce the righteousness of God. We're not going to change Roe versus Wade or turn the abortion issue around by picketing and holding our signs up. It'll happen by doing good. The Bible says we overcome evil by doing good. That's not my message. I've got to get back over here. Here's the fourth area. The anger that we have from the past. Some of you are carrying anger from something that you experienced and went through in the past. And number five, anger that we just make up. Hey, some things you're mad at right now, you just made it up. How do I know that's true? Because you thought that you saw this for what it was, but in reality... That's not what was meant, and that's not the way that it was in the first place. Because most people find what they're looking for. If you want to find a reason to get offended, you're going to find it. You want to find a reason to get mad, you're going to find it. Why? Because you're going to find what you're looking for. 
even if you have to make it up. Here's the third, the second thing. We got to identify what we're angry at. Number two, we got to define why I'm angry. Most of the time, anger is not the root problem. It's a symptom. It's a caution light. It's a warning sign. Anger is usually uh, the result of one to three different reasons. A lot of times, anger is the result of pain. I am hurting. Hurting people tend to be angry people because hurting people hurt people and are easily hurt by people. Got it? Pain oftentimes produces a negative reaction out of us. And I could tell you how I've responded in anger as a result of being hurt before. But I'm going to spare you time. Pain. Number two, fear. I'm scared. People respond in an angry way because they're, they're afraid. And number three, frustration. Frustration is the result of unmet expectations. And oftentimes, especially in marriages and relationships, we get married and we've never clarified any kind of expectation that we should have, but we expect the other person to be a mind reader. And when they can't read your mind, that makes you mad. You ever thought about talking? Communicating? Saying, you know, this is the way I'm feeling. But the problem is, most of us learn how to process our anger by the age of two or three, and we keep using that method as adults. So instead of being able to sit down and have a, a rational adult conversation, we want to be childish. The Bible says we're to be childlike, not childish. And childish people react and respond in an angry way simply because they refuse to communicate. A lot of the problems could be solved in your life if you could just sit down and have a conversation. You're frustrated. Well, tell me why. And here's the thing. When you understand the other person's point of view, it makes you a more understanding person. Having understanding makes you understanding. But we're too busy putting people in their place instead of putting ourselves in their shoes. Listen, I've just helped solve 90% of the problems in your life right then. We could end and walk out the door right now. But I got some more stuff. The Bible says this, a man's understanding gives him patience. And love is what? Patience. Where does patience come from? Understanding. Where do you get understanding from? By listening to the other person. The problem is, there's a difference between hearing and understanding, or hearing and listening. Hearing simply means you've heard words. Problem is this, words are only 7% of how we communicate. Over 90% is nonverbal. What does that mean? That means we communicate through the vocal tone of our voice, the pitch, facial expressions, body language, all those things matter. Listen, when you hear something, you're using your ears. When you listen, you're using your heart. And you never feel more, feel more loved than when you're listened to. You don't even have to have an answer to all your problems as long as you've got somebody to listen to. to you. A lot of the things that we've got going on in our life, the truth is we, we don't want people to fix it for us. We just want the person that says they love us to sit down and listen. I want you to hear my heart. Because listening, hear, hearing involves the ear. Listening involves the heart. And when we're going to work through our problems relationally, it's the heart, not the ear, that changes things. And this is good stuff. Number three, don't give in to your anger. When you lose your temper, write this down. When you lose your temper, you lose. When you lose your temper, you lose. Don't give in to your temper. It's been said that you can tell how big a person is by the things it takes to make them mad. So let me ask you a question. 
What does it take to make you angry? What does it take to make you mad? What does it take for you just to cop an attitude and say, well, if you evaluate what it is that makes you mad, it'll tell you how big a person you are. Now, that made you mad, didn't it? Don't give in to your anger. Did you know it's possible to control your anger without large doses of mind-altering drugs and years and years of professional counseling? Galatians chapter 5 gives us the answer, and that answer is self-control. Self-control makes you more patient, makes you more understanding, makes you in more control, because we can't control what we go through, but we can control how we go through it. And if you want to know whether being and having self-control is important or not, you should ask Moses. In one moment, as a result of a lack of self-control and the refusal of him to deal with his issue of anger, one moment of lack of self-control changed his destiny. The moment he acted out in anger, because God told him to speak to the rock and water would come. But Moses didn't speak to the rock. He struck the rock. And God says, all right, that is enough for you to forfeit the destiny that I had for you. Nobody, I believe this ultimately, not going into the promised land. Nobody wanted to go to the promised land more than Moses. But when God told him he wouldn't go into the promised land, I believe it killed him. Because the Bible says that Moses was just as strong at his death as he was when he, lived, when he was alive. And some of you, God has promises that you are to inherit, to experience, to receive, that your anger is either delaying you, and if you don't deal with your anger, it will ultimately cause you to miss out on the promised land that God has for your life. I'm going to wrap it up with this. Number four, deal with your anger, then come to music. Life causes trauma, and trauma causes pain, and pain causes anger. Now, how you process your anger will determine the quality of your life. Ephesians 4.26 says, If you become angry... Do not allow your anger to lead you into sinning. So what's that saying to us? It's saying there's a right way to deal with anger, and there's a wrong way to deal with anger. There's an appropriate way to deal with your anger. There is an inappropriate way to deal with your anger. There is a godly way to handle your anger, and there is an ungodly way of handling your anger. And he says, don't allow your anger to lead you into sin. Now, how do we deal with our anger in the appropriate way? Number one, realize the cost. I promise you, if you say something out of anger, those will be the greatest words you will ever regret. Some of you have said those words to people and you've wounded them deeply. Some of you have had those words said to you and are wounded by them. Because once you let go of words, you cannot take them back. They're eternal. So realize, if you respond out of anger, it's going to cost you far more than you ever imagined it would if you would have just had some self-control. Second thing is, admit you're angry. <laughs> I mean... My 20 years of pastoring, the thing that never ceases to amaze me is just how little people are willing to admit that they have issues and problems. And listen, specifically, that they're angered. I'm not mad. I mean, their face, veins bulging out of the forehead, popping out of their neck. No! Praise the Lord. 
Hallelujah. Not admitting that you're angry is a sin. It's called lying. Lying's even one of the big ten. And some of you have been lying to yourself for years. Saying that because I've learned how to suppress my anger. I've learned how to repress my anger. I've learned how to control it and not allow that emotion to come out. And, 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 and I don't have an anger problem. You know, because I've learned how to push it down. Because I don't let that emotion to show. And, and, and because of that, I don't have any anger problem. Liar. Lying will keep you out of heaven. You know that? Galatians says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. No adulterer, no liar, no thieves shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. Did you know lying to yourself is still lying? Admit it. It takes humility to admit you have problems. And it takes humility, like we said last week, for God to release grace in your life. Some of you are mad and miserable because you're full of self-righteousness. And you won't admit that you really have problems. You care more what other people think than what God thinks. In America, we don't want to offend anybody but God. We don't care you know, what God thinks as long as we just don't offend anybody else. And inside the church, we tolerate anger because, you know what? Well, I might have an anger problem with some of my drug addicts. Might have an anger problem, but at least I don't cheat on my wife or my husband. Really? You're proud of that? While your relationships remain completely destroyed? While you don't have a relationship with your children? You don't have a relationship with your brothers or sisters? Your relationships are suffering, every single one of them? You're proud of that? Let me know how that works out for you. Because your anger and happiness are incompatible. They cannot coexist. Some of you need to let that go. The last thing is we need to repent of any present anger. Same with me. Let me just ask you. I know nobody here wants to do this. And I'm not trying to get a response out of you. I can't change. If you're here this morning, and God's speaking to you, and He's saying, there's some anger in your life that you are refusing to admit. And if you don't admit that anger, you're never going to be able to change. And the situation and the relationship are going to continue to be the way that they are simply because... I can help somebody that doesn't ask for it. And the only people that qualify for help are people that are in trouble. Sooner or later, whether it's pride, envy, anger, it's going to cause a whole lot of trouble in your life. Do you have present anger issues that you need to repent of? Let me ask you this. Have you let your temper get out of control this week? Have you lost your temper? At home or at work. Listen, Sundays are the best days to argue among families ever. Some of y'all are angry and got mad at each other on the way to church. I used to do that. Now I get up at about 5 or 6 in the morning and leave before everybody else does. Why? Because I'm smart. I'm going to argue with nobody on, on Sunday. I'm going to get my mind on the Lord at least one day. I'm going to focus completely on Him. But you have to get up and leave early. That's what solves your problems. Didn't do it. Now here's what I feel. And I was praying this morning, and I wrote this down. I feel like there's some people here that you have suffered as the result of somebody else's anger. And you've been hurt as a result of it. 
Maybe that it came from a parent, a spouse, a family member. Maybe it was verbal. Or maybe it was stupid. Ten million children last year were, were abused by parents. Six million wives were abused by their husbands. 60% of the people in America lose their temper. Maybe I'm the one that's caused damage to somebody else. And you need to repent of that and then go and apologize and ask you That would require a lot character and courage to do. But if you want God's best for your life, if you want God to help get you out of the situation you're in, what's going to take? Let's bow our heads. I'm going to pray this prayer. You just pick up and pray it however you feel led to. But I want to lead us in this prayer. Father, I want to admit that I have anger issues and that you're the only one that can help me overcome them. And today, with your help, I'm going to ask you to take control and give me self-control over my temper. Help me to realize the cost of my anger. When I lose my temper, I always lose. Help me to reflect before reacting. Give me wisdom and help me to understand why I'm angry. Help me to see the reason and identify the object of my anger. Help me to release anger appropriately, not to repress it or to pretend it's not there or to express it in a violent way through shouting, pouting, or any other way, silently holding anger in my heart. Help me, I admit, I confess my need for help. Help me to change. I want to learn how to manage my anger in the right way in Jesus. They're going to sing. They're going to play. If you need personal prayer, if you just want to come and pray about some issues that God's dealing with you over.